Welcome to another exciting episode of The NIDS View, a weekly show of the National Institute for Deterrence Studies, where we are advancing peace, promoting stability, and helping you to think deterrence. Each week, we discuss and analyze a recent topic and provide insight into how it affects our national deterrence. We hope you enjoy this show. Welcome back to another great episode of The NIDS View. Of course, I'm Adam Lowther, along with Jim Petrosky. Now, our co-conspirator, Curtis McGiffin, is on leave this week, but he'll be back next week. So we'll, we'll of course, miss him. But uh, I know he, he will be sitting uh, in a nice, uh, warm place and uh, thinking about this very topic and probably... You know, listen to this episode when it comes out and be like, I would have said something really smart. And so, uh, you know, we'll miss him. Uh, Jim? You know, Curtis is already in a warm place. He's down in Tennessee. And actually, if you're in the United States at this point, it's warm for this time of year anyway. So all is well with the temperatures. But I agree. I miss having Curtis on here. But we'll, we'll get by without him. So we had a... A bit of a, uh, can I say it's a kerfuffle when uh, Congressman Turner uh, announced a few days ago that there is a major uh, problem that, that uh, ha, you know, has come to light to the Intelligence Committee. And he, he was advocating for President Biden to declassify the information and of course, in the days that followed the last few days, it's, you know, it's really only been two or three days. It's come to light that there appears to be the Russians appear to have or, or are building a nuclear powered anti satellite weapon. We, we don't exactly know what it is. I mean, I've read a handful of the articles talking about it and it you know it would essentially be a a nuclear anti-satellite weapon and of course this has you know s- severe implications for the United States right position navigation and timing is essentially one of the most important things that we rely on for everything from the transmission of power to ATMs to uh, you know a whole host of just normal th- daily things that if it were disrupted that would be a big deal. You know, if we had a nuclear detonation in space, we could potentially lose our communications and, uh, you know, intelligence satellites. So this this is like a really big deal. But the administration came out and said that they don't think that it's an operational capability. Uh, John Kirby said they think that they're building it, but it's not operational at the time and then of course fortunately uh president putin came out and said that this was a malicious fabrication in quote by the biden administration to uh pressure congress to pass the the 97 billion dollar foreign aid bill so i mean really we probably shouldn't have talked about it uh, you know on a nids view episode because President Putin said there's nothing to it. And, you know, the Russians <laughs> always keep their word on treaties. They don't ever violate them because it would be a violation of the Outer Space Treaty. So we, sh- we shouldn't worry. Uh, President Putin said so. Now, Jim, let me ask you. So we don't know a lot. 
Uh, but let's sort of hypothesize, and you being the scientist, uh, you're good at uh, you know generating hypotheses and then doing experiments and things of that nature. So what would, you know, if this were to be real, if let's you know, say the Russians have some sort of nuclear detonation device in space that was designed to essentially take out American assets, really any assets, whatever it comes, you know, whatever uh, would be in the, you know, in the path of, of this device and, and the propagation of those, you know, those, the harmful radiation. So what, what would, what would happen? How would that look? What would be, you know, what could we expect? Give us some details on the science of what we might see. Yeah. Oh, well, thanks. Thanks, Adam. And first of all, just to be clear for everyone, I am in Congressman Turner's district. So <laughs> I obviously know a lot about this because I'm in the right area. But uh, to put in a plug for our, our NIDS knowledge, for those that haven't been listening, uh, we opened up a, a new venue uh, a, a little over a month ago in real space strategy. And our space strategy expertise is Chris Stone, who does that on every other week basis. And he's uh, he's addressed this topic a little bit before. Um, but I'll I'll give you a different uh, I'll, I'll give a slightly different view, Adam. And I, I appreciate your introduction. You said I do hypotheses. Uh, I call it, you know, brevity science, you know, BS. So I can do just about anything in that, uh, in that realm. But uh, in all seriousness, space operations is not my background, but nuclear weapons and nuclear weapon effects are. And certainly space is an important aspect because, uh, you know, first of all, even without nuclear weapons, anything traveling in space has to be uh, designed to be able to uh, uh, weather through environmental conditions of radiation from the cosmos and from the sun. Uh, and so uh, a lot of what we have in space, of course, is radiation hardened. They also, uh, of course, with the, the solar, uh, with the, the sun on one side and space on the other side, they have to be able to handle, you know, high thermal differences in satellite communica or communications equipment. Uh, and so our systems in space are somewhat hardened against radi the, the harmful radiation of radiation or of, of space, my apologies. Um, but, uh, but a nuclear weapon in space and you, Adam, you mentioned, you said, you know, nuclear powered. I don't, I'm not sure we're building, you know, and we we've, we've done this with deep space aircraft already where we have uh, radiation based propulsion systems in space. But I read on this, uh, the, this argument here is that they're breaking the space treaty, at least that's, a, you know, that's what's being pushed in, in this article, is that they're putting a nuclear weapon in space. Um, let, me, let me first start out just with the technical background. So when you have a, a nuclear weapon in space, there's really, there's really you know, two major things you've got to look at, actually probably more like three. You have you know, the prompt radiation effect. So when a nuclear bomb goes off, it puts out a lot of radiation. X-ray is probably the most important. And it's a direct, you know, it's a direct line of sight. There's nothing in space to stop it. So there are very, very high fluxes of X-ray, which, uh, uh, which can ionize the surface of, the, of other satellites and also can, can place a huge uh, amount of thermal uh, energy onto a satellite causing melting or destruction. But what people don't know about uh, very often is those x-rays come as a short pulse and give an, give an incredible 
this is sort of interesting, called X-ray impulse, give an incredible impulse or basically a shove to the satellite. And they're not mechanically designed to take a shove in space because in, in space, you know, once in orbit, an aircraft or a spacecraft is pretty much just floating along in space. There's no wind. There's nothing, you know, not a lot of drag aside from, you know, there, there is some drag, cosmic drag that comes and gravitational drag. But you don't have, you know, tornadoes and, and, and wind systems and such in space. So they're not designed for that. So that's, that's one area that, you know, our current systems are not designed to, you know, necessarily uh, – uh, be able to take on. And, and we're talking impacts that are much higher than just a straight impact of an aircraft or something like that. So there's direct prompt radiation effects that occur. And that's the first thing that the satellites must be able to survive with a nuclear weapon in space. And I, I, I want to get this third point I want to make quickly here. Uh, the second piece is there's residual radiation because when the nuclear bomb goes off, it puts out it, 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 the fuel itself uh, becomes radioactive. The, uh, the surrounding uh, satellite components uh, become, become uh, radioactive from the uh, excess neutrons. They basically activate it. If you don't know anything about that, listen to my NIDS knowledge podcast on, on fallout. And I talk about that at some length. So if that doesn't sound right to you, listen to that discussion because it's about neutrons interacting with materials and activating them. So now you have this residual stuff. So you, first of all, you know, anything that doesn't kill you at first because you're within line of sight of the satellite, you're on the other side of earth or whatever. Eventually you're going to rotate around the other side of, of earth or the magnetic field is going to move that debris to the other side of earth and impact with you. And it's radioactive. And it will, that radiation is going to damage electronics and can damage surfaces and can uh, cause electronics and, and, and other systems to fail. And we knew this way back, I mean, back when we established a treaty for space, uh, space detonations, because we knew, um, oh, what was the name of the, what was the name of the treaty, Adam? Uh, we had uh, the Outer Space Treaty, uh, what are you thinking uh, of? Yeah, that's what I'm thinking of. But I, I didn't think it was called the Outer Space. There's actually a name for it. It'll come to mind as I'm thinking about it. Um, um, Exoatmospheric uh, Test Ban Treaty. Okay, so, I got you. Uh, I got you. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. yeah so, Starfish so, Prime. So, yep, there you go. So, um, yeah, so we did not want to have that happen, you know, we wanted space to be able to be used. Because this debris can be radioactive for long, long periods of times and affect many things. And that's... The piece, the piece that bothers me about any of this is if someone were to put a nuclear weapon in space and detonate it, you basically are taking space off the map in terms of a, a warfighting domain uh, because uh, it is so unpredictable. Go ahead. Well, let, let me ask you, though, as I was trying to think about, like, how would the radiation propagate? Like, oh. would it propagate? You know, so, in a belt, would it propagate, you know, in all directions? How how would it propagate in space to therefore, in, in how thick of that would that layer be? That th Those are some of the things I was trying to think about. So, so you know, you get back to fundamental physics. Uh, hopefully our our readers are, are more than interested in, in Newton's laws. But uh, uh, but seriously, the, the, again, this is why I, I see a nuclear weapon in space as being somewhat... Uh, somewhat concerning from the standpoint of not knowing what the real result is going to be. Because what happens when an explosion occurs is you push debris in multiple directions. And so 
you know, an object in motion will remain in motion unless a force acts on it. And so what ends up happening is the, the initial explosion, I'm moving my hands around for those potentially watching the, the video. Um, but, uh, uh, but what happens is that debris moves out. There's nothing really to stop it from moving, you know, higher, uh, to a higher uh, location or lower location from the actual detonation. So what it causes, it causes it to spread out. Now it's also moved by the magnetic field of, of the, of the earth itself. And so the positives go one way and the negatives go the other way. And they actually pick up a cyclic motion due to, due to some other external uh, magnetic field forces. And so what you get is you get this slowly growing region where you go to higher altitudes, you go to lower altitudes and you pretty much spread it out either through that initial kinetic energy or through what's called diffusion. Things go from high to low uh, concentrations. And so it diffuses out very slowly over time. And, and when we had previous detonations in space, they affected our, our atmosphere for, you know, five or six years, we could still see the residual effects of that radiation in space before it either diffused enough that it was low enough, decayed enough so it was low enough that it didn't cause any problems, or literally, you know, came out of orbit and fell to Earth or whatever it did, burn up the atmosphere. And so to me, that, again, it, Put the physics aside, the unknownness of a detonation. Let me, you know, here, I'm going to put up my, my Vladimir Putin hat. So I'm going to take and put a nuclear weapon in space. And what's it going to do? I'm not sure, but it's going to be really bad. And that is probably the more concerning aspect of this than anything else. So it, it seems it would be, you know, it's really bad for everyone who has assets in space. Yeah. So exactly. is the is the choice just well, you know, the Americans are more dependent upon space than we are, therefore it'll hurt them more than us. We'll we'll be hurt, the Chinese will be hurt, everybody's hurt. But, you know, the Americans are hurt most because they're most dependent. Is that is that the best you can do in terms of sort of trying to ascertain the exact impact of such a detonation? That that truly is the issue, and in fact, for those that watch, I'm I'm, I'm going to put a plug in for a, a movie. I don't know if I have to, you know, I have to get royalties or whatever for the movie Gravity. But for those that watch the movie Gravity, it was about a Russian uh, uh, Russia uh, basically destroys one of its satellites in space, and the debris flies at around twenty thousand miles an hour and keeps you know flying around Earth, and it's that debris in space that you you know what belt it's in from that location but it, its original explosion pushes it in many directions and a nuclear weapon has a lot of you know i imagine it would use a lot of energy otherwise they'd put a block of tnt up there it'd be a whole lot easier they wouldn't break any treaties everyone would be okay well i wouldn't be okay with it but you see what i'm saying putting a nuclear weapon there just changes the whole dynamic because of the radiation aspect and the ability to 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 you know, direct radiation, take out satellites quickly. So the answer is, I, I, I'm not sure what it gains aside from your argument, Adam, which is we're going to take it out for everyone, but, you know, they're going to be worse off with us. It's sort of like what we would do is we said, we're going to cut food production by 50%. Well, who's it going to hurt to worse? Well, America has lots of food, okay? Now, it doesn't mean that we're, you know, doesn't mean that you know, we want to cut our food production, but we have a lot of excess food. Countries that have very little food or most dependent on it, they would be hurt the worst. Now, I'm 
not saying that is a strategy for fighting. I'm trying to use it as an analogy. Does that make sense, Adam? Sure. So thinking through this, it, maybe this is merely a, it's, you know, I, I sort of wonder like, is it a weapon that you would put up that you could, you could use for coercion, but because it would have such a negative effect on everybody it becomes ineffective because we say, well, hey, listen, this hurts everyone so badly. You you included, you the Russians included, that we know you won't use it. So therefore, your effort to use it as a coercive tool is is ineffective. Is that, I mean, I'm trying to think through yeah, it. I, I, I have, since I read this article, Adam, I have been trying to put my head, wrap my head around the strategic side of this, because I'm not a strategist, you know, I'm, you know, work the technical side. I can understand the technical aspects and all of them are bad. <laughs> okay. Prompt radiation, delayed radiation, its effect on, on much of our space operations. Um, all of these things would occur, but even are worse with a nuclear weapon vice a conventional or a chemical based weapon. So the only aspect I see is it seems to be self deterring. So then the question is why even present it? So let's say again, we don't know the, the background intelligence here and I'm not claiming to be an intelligence expert uh, uh, on in this area, but why would Russia even put out such a, a an argument unless they are trying to gain some marketable, corner and you know they're they're you know going to play this out from a strategy standpoint what advantage is there to putin to put this out and i think you're you, you know you're onto something that i hadn't thought about yeah so i wonder though you know thinking back to iraq where you know the you know the insurgents would would have directional blasts purposefully mm -hmm. you know to to take out our vehicles and stuff i could could you put something in space could the russians put something in space that they could essentially direct the effects control the effects or, or do it in such a way that that they could you know make it bad for the americans but not bad for everybody is is that you know a possibility is there a way to do that aside from emp you know which would be uh you know more localized uh you can't really see that in space. And again, the, the, you know, compare a, again, a block of TNT, you know, a ton of TNT in space versus a ton of, uh, a one ton nuclear weapon. The only difference between the two are the prompt, as I said, the prompt radiation effects, which are those direct effects to take out satellites, but it's that debris, long-term debris aspect that be, and is really a, a concerning part of that. Uh, I will agree that anything that, you know, that you imagine could survive uh, the impact of the x-rays, the thermal energy, the direct uh, radiation from the, the protons, et cetera, uh, that would be that would be localized, but short term. It's that long term piece that really bothers me that I can't I can't think through uh, why you'd want to put a nuclear weapon up there for any other reason than just take out space, take it off well, the map. Well, so how, you know, I was, you know, thinking about it. So if let's say, you know, Starlink satellites are, you know, I think they're at what, a couple yep. hundred miles up, something, mm -hmm. something like that. Yep. So we go from a couple hundred miles up to, you know, GPS is at, 
you know, 22,500 miles up, some, something like that. And then we've got some, you know, satellites in highly elliptical orbits and that go out much further on the ellipses. And, and I wonder if you put that, you know, that weapon at, let's say, 400 miles or 500 miles up, how far would that reach? Would it, you know, would would GPS be safe? And if you put a weapon out at, you know, let's say 22,000 miles, would everything, you know, down at, you know, in low Earth orbit with the LEO satellites, you know, would they be okay? H- how would, how would yeah. that, because space is pretty big. I mean, it's not exactly small, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's quite big. Yeah, but our GPS satellites are not like on the other side of Jupiter either. So, I mean, you you have to co-locate with the Earth in order to interact well with the Earth. I mean, uh, the power requirements change as you get further away. So that's the reason our satellites are you know drawn close to the Earth in the first place. But you you are onto something there. Again, it's a it's an unknown piece, and now you think it's this through but you know the lower in the atmosphere you get the more that radiation gets absorbed into the atmosphere the debris of course burns up in the atmosphere and i mean that's the whole reason why we're all so fortunate to be born on earth because had we been born on a planet that doesn't have an atmosphere that radiation would have killed us uh long before we ran out of air well i don't know i have not done the calculation but anyway the point is if we had no atmosphere um, the radiation would come to, you know, would, would be killing us uh, all the time because the atmosphere helps us survive and our magnetic field helps us survive. So, um, uh, so in the end, um, the atmosphere does, cl- you know, does provide some protection. So the answer to your question, probably the bigger answer, and maybe again, without, I, I'm a scientist, so I want to think about this and do the calculations in my head. I haven't done it, but I would say the f- closer to the earth you are, the less of a chance that debris, first of all, is going to be, you know, orbiting the earth. It's going to interact with the atmosphere and probably reflect out to the exterior or come to rest because there's a force of drag from the atmosphere on it. So it would slow it down. So as you get closer in, uh, you become more survivable. In fact, that's the, you know, that's the other way to do this is to have, communication networks that are very close to earth like airplanes um like balloons like antennas outside your house you know they're close but unfortunately they don't have the global reach like a satellite does they don't have the persistence they don't have the weather you know it's it's all a trade-off it's all an engineering trade-off and so, so again our satellite constellations are where they are and they are subject to this radiation that you're talking about okay so speaking of radiation so just sort of thinking about it, you know, with a, let's, you know, thinking about nuclear weapon detonations, you know, it's 600 feet above ground zero or a thousand feet. You, you, you know, when we do those calculations and, you know, we, we can see what that propagation distance looks like for, you know, prompt ionizing radiation. We, we, we know what that looks like. But when you get up into space and, you know, space being essentially a vacuum, how does how does that radiation, you know, how does being in a vacuum change how radiation propagates? Because, I mean, we we clearly know atmospherics Mm -hmm. influence it. But but how does it change? Because I just wonder, like, if something's at five, if that detonation goes off at 500 miles, you know, above the Earth. 
how does that because you know starfish prime was was it 250 miles i think yep and and you know we we sort of understood what it did but back then there was you know essentially there was no satellites so well, we, it took out two satellites right track two and i can't remember yeah. the other one but it took out the satellites fairly quickly like what six days eight days yeah, I mean, there those you know the, that early days where we just had and we we only had a few, but we didn't have these layers of orbits, and mm-hmm. so my I guess my question is how how would that radiation affect those satellites? Uh, you know, how does that radiation propagate from say five hundred miles up to twenty two and a half thousand? So so first of all, when you're essentially out of the you know you're in a rarefied atmosphere and above, so you know and. You know, it's it's hard. Maybe if as Chris was here, he'd tell me a, a specific number, but it's hard to corner the market on what do you call space and what do you call, you know, outer space and inner space or whatever you want to atmosphere. So we'll say we're in a rarefied atmosphere and above where the density of of the of the atmosphere is very low. Then electromagnetic radiation basically flies in straight lines. So when the detonation occurs, you know, your x-rays are basically starting at a point and flying in all directions. Okay, and they're going to fly in, in that direction. I use the word fly. They propagate. So the electromagnetic x-rays are traveling out in all directions from the detonation. The ones going toward the Earth uh, will interact with the atmosphere as they get closer to Earth and e- eventually get absorbed into the atmosphere, resulting in heat. That's why we have a thermosphere. It basically, x-rays are doing that constantly from our from our solar system and they're, you know, they're basically interacting with the upper atmosphere. So you have the heat in that, you know, it, it results in uh, x-rays result in heat there. The ones going say toward the moon, they're going to keep flying until they get to the moon. There's nothing in the way. So that's, that's the, that's the true direct result. When I say line of sight, that's what I'm talking about. Then that radiation flies off. It's instantaneous and it's done after the detonation. It's the debris which has charge on it. So you have protons, which are positively right. charged, and yeah. electrons, which are negatively charged. They're going to follow the magnetic field lines, and they're going to follow the magnetic field lines, and they're going to feel a Stokes force, for those of you physicists in the audience here. Basically, you're going to spin around those magnetic field lines, and they're going to start following those field lines. And they're going to, depending on their initial kinetic energy, they're going to go to different altitudes before they end up getting drawn into and a, a magnetic field line and follow that around the earth. It, and so, so this, that charged particles get moved by that. Is this like when we're talking about the Van Allen belt and very, and, very similar. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know, the impact of pulling debris into mm-hmm. it and right. But the, but remember the debris is doing two things as it's traveling. One is it's being pulled around by the magnetic field. Right. But the other thing is it's decaying over time. So it's very highly radioactive. Again, listen to my, podcast uh uh from the nids view on on fallout but it's highly radioactive initially and it decays over time but as it's decaying it's emitting radiation so if it's emitting electromagnetic radiation then it's uh it's impacting as did the you know in the van allen belts as did following the starfish prime event it's impacting those satellites and continually damaging them to the point where the exposed systems especially the power systems that are taking power from the solar system, those solar panels are exposed. I mean, they have to be. You can't put a you know cover on a solar panel and then have it collect solar energy. So it's terribly badly exposed. And in fact, that's what killed the satellites following Starfish 
was that this, the power systems died. They lost power because the solar systems were damaged and they would ineffectively collect solar energy. Okay. Well, uh, so, you know, as we wrap up the show, let me ask the, the final question. So for our listeners who are sort of trying to work through this as you and I are, what is sort of what's your takeaway for what we know and what we should should be thinking right now? Well, I, I would you know when I when I look at this again the from a scientific standpoint, I can't wrap my head around why you would want to put a nuclear weapon in space aside from maybe distributed EMP and EMP on the ground. And we didn't get the distributed EMP, and I'm not going to have time to talk about that. It's a little difficult to to worry about, but. We talked about the radiation aspects and then the EMP. Aside from the fact that you could take out a lot of space with a nuclear weapon in space, um, there are no I, I, there's there are no technical reasons why a nuclear bomb can't go off in space. It doesn't need air, so you know it you know it would just you know need the same you know same requirements to detonate on the ground. So most of what happens in space, it's not a technical challenge to put it there. It you know, all the advantages of a nuclear weapon in space, small size, high power output, uh, and the advantages of the radiation and the dispersion and, uh, uh, and the de delayed uh, radiation aspects. Those are all advantages from a military characteristic standpoint, uh, except that, as you said, or, you know, you can think of it as a, you know, I, I was a, a, an army officer, so we looked at survivability of uh, following nuclear weapons use. You know, if you use a nuclear weapon in an area or if you use chem or bio in an area and you want to occupy it, you can't until the levels of chemical, bio or radiation are low enough to occupy it. The same is going to happen in space. But that's going to be a long time. And I just yeah. don't see uh, my view. And again, someone can come back on this podcast and I'd be happy to listen to them. I don't see a grand advantage aside from your comment, which is we'll take it out for everybody. And we will we will negotiate from there, and it does become a negotiation point. I, I'll give you that. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're about out of time. It's it's one of those topics where you're just like, hmm, you know what what you know what's the what's the play here? It's 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 a a, a question of where where you want to say, well, how well do we understand Vladimir Putin and what he values? And that's that's really well, what I it comes down to because the. Because the, you know, the science is bad for everybody. So uh, I guess we'll, we'll end our conversation here. But Jim, thanks for, uh, thanks for joining me on this episode of the NIDS View. And, you know, we'll keep following this. And if, yeah. if, we, if we get more, we'll bring it back up. So yeah, I hope I'm, we can get some feedback at uh, NIDS at thinkdeterrence.com or ask NIDS, one word, at thinkdeterrence.com. You know, send us your comments and we'd like to respond to those things or ideas. So, but I agree with you, Adam. I think this is an interesting topic and it's just starting to heat up, I believe. Yeah. All right. Well, Jim, thanks for joining me. And thanks to you, the listeners, for joining us on this episode of the NIDS View. And as always, we want to encourage you to think deterrence. Thank you for listening to the NIDS View. This show is produced under the NIDS Podcasting Network a division of the National Institute for Deterrence Studies. NIDS is a 501c3 organization dependent upon donations to provide this podcast 
and bring about awareness of the peacekeeping value of U.S. strength and our national deterrence. You can catch all of our podcasts or provide feedback at thinkdeterrence.com. I would like to thank our producer, Kimberly Charrington, our sponsors, and all the fantastic members of the National Institute for Deterrence Studies for making this podcast possible. Stay tuned next week for another exciting and informative The NIDS View.